Hi, and welcome to NASIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we have a remarkable guest, our very own Amy Glasscock. We're going to talk about Amy's recent op-ed published in Government Technology, which is called Five Reasons Your State Needs a Chief Privacy Officer Now. That's right. I'm going to tell you all about the CPO role and why states need to hire one if they haven't already. I can't wait. You ready to get started? Let's get to it. Okay. So, Amy, we always start these by asking our guests to tell us about their background and how they came into their roles. And while folks know you, I still see no reason to change that this time. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to NACIO and what you do here? Okay. Well, the quick version is that I started my career working on Capitol Hill in D.C. for four years. Then I worked for the American Public Power Association and Government Relations, representing municipal electric utilities. Then my husband and I left D.C. and for two years served overseas in the Peace Corps as English teachers in Indonesia, which I think I've talked about before on this podcast. And then while I was finishing up my service, I knew I wanted to move back to my home state of Kentucky. And I saw that NASIO was hiring and I applied and did three virtual interviews over Skype, which, you know, was very ahead of its time back Uh, then (laughs) and started the job in late summer of 2014. And when I started, I had no idea that privacy would be part of my policy portfolio. They actually said I would be working on healthcare policy, but kind of as the years got further away from the Affordable Care Act, that became less of a priority for our state CIOs. So I kind of uh, moved out of that and started working on privacy. And then in 2021, I got my certified information privacy manager certification. So almost nine years later, here I still am. And the job just never gets old. There's always something new to work on and learn about. Awesome. Well, I think that we are both lucky to be at NASIO for that reason, because there's always plenty to do. Yeah. So tell us about the chief privacy officer community that NASIO has established. How and why did it come about? And what are some of the successes that you all have had so far? Yeah. So yeah, it happened kind of organically, but I would say it probably started sometime around 2015 when we established the Privacy and Data Protection Forum. I started keeping track of how many states had a chief privacy officer, and it was only five back then. And as the years went on, we saw that number steadily growing. And then sometime around 2018 or 2019, the press kind of also saw that number growing. And I started getting press inquiries about the role with a lot of questions about who the CPOs report to, what they do, things like that. And I didn't really know how to answer that accurately. I could say, well, I know this person reports here and this person reports here, but I didn't really have like that macro view. So in 2019, I did our first state chief privacy officer survey to get a better idea of that big picture. So I could answer those questions. And then later that year, we also decided to invite the chief privacy officers to have their own leadership summit meeting along with our CIOs and CISOs for the 2020 year. That, of course, ended up being virtual. But in 2021 and 2022, we brought the CPOs together in person. And in 2022, I also did a follow-up survey with even more data. And then I would say, you know, the successes are just like the steady growth of that role in the States. Um, It's been kind of rapid in the last few years, steady maturation of the role, and then having these in-person meetings and them getting to to spend time together with their peers, which doesn't really happen in, in any other setting. 
Yeah, no, I remember I got a chance to brief them on privacy legislation maybe a year or so ago, and it was a really, really fascinating group to talk to. So what is the current number of CPOs? And I'm wondering, you, you've talked about how we've, we've added more CPOs over the last few years, but I'm wondering if you could also talk a little bit about just how the role itself has evolved since you first started doing this work. Yeah, sure. Well, we count 25 states that have someone working on privacy at the enterprise level, and not all of them do privacy full time, but most of them do at this point. And and we invite all 25 of those on our list to the Leadership Summit. The evolution of the role can be seen in a couple of different ways. You know, obviously there's the bigger number than, than we had last year or the year before. More, you know, so more states hiring chief privacy officers or more states making that role official. So, you know, for instance, there was a state that that had a general counsel working on privacy and she would come to our meetings, but then they hired an official chief privacy officer. So now that person comes instead. Uh-huh. Um, or the role being codified in statute. So, um, you know, last year there were five states that had that role codified and a couple more states that were working on it this year. So it's definitely moving along in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about this great op-ed that you wrote. Um, there's a link in the show notes for listeners who want to check it out. What are some of the key takeaways and what should everyone know? Sure. I'll try to be kind of brief about this as I go through these. But so as you mentioned, the op-ed is called Five Reasons Your State Needs a Chief Privacy Officer Now. So the first reason is that states collect more information from the average citizen than any one company. And if you think about all the interactions you have with your state, you can see how this is true compared to a company that you might interact with. The second reason is that the pandemic really sped up states' use of digital government, and with digital government services comes even more data collection. Number three is that citizens are more aware of their privacy rights than they have ever been in the past. And it seems like every couple months we hear about another data breach in the news. I mean, it's probably more often than that, honestly. Or we're getting actually notified that our information may have been part of one. So citizens are just more aware and more uneasy about the way that their personal information is being collected and used. And we say hiring a chief privacy officer is a great way for a state to signal to citizens that they're taking privacy seriously. The fourth reason is that states need a privacy program and a state CPO can help you build one. So We talk about governance a lot at NASIO, and this is part of that. Having a privacy program in place, instead of just reacting to problems or breaches as they arise, is really important, and it can help a state avoid those breaches in a more proactive way, can maintain governance, and help you comply with privacy laws, which is obviously very important. And a CPO is an expert in these areas and can really help steer a state in the right direction. And then finally, an enterprise. CPO will coordinate with executive branch agencies to make sure everyone is up to date on trainings and following privacy laws and on the same page. So without this, as you can imagine, some agencies already have their own privacy experts, like Health and Human Services, for example, will have somebody who really understands HIPAA law. Other agencies may not even have privacy on their radar. So a state CPO can coordinate with privacy leads and agencies advocate that all agencies have a privacy lead to begin with, and then create an enterprise privacy policy. They can also help organize trainings for state employees, much like a CISO might do for cybersecurity trainings. So lots of reasons to get this done, huh? That's right. 
Well, it certainly makes sense. I was a little surprised to read that states collect more information from the average citizen than one than any one company. Can you elaborate on that a little? So if you think about the information that, say, one of my favorite companies, Target, has about you, it's going to be your address, email, credit card number, and your buying and browsing history, most likely, which, I mean, is still a lot of information. They can get a lot of information about you and your life from those things. But if you don't like Target's privacy policies, you can choose not to shop there. You can buy what you need at Amazon or Walmart or lots of other places. But if you need a driver's license, if you want to buy property, if you give birth, if you pay taxes, if you get state benefits, you have to interact with your state and your state has to collect personal information about you. So you don't have the choice to go to another state unless you move there, right? You can't just pick and Mm -hmm. choose and shop around to find the state with the best privacy policy. So states should be taking privacy seriously and should appoint someone to oversee this information. Got it. Well, I know Target may be a choice, but sometimes when you you, you need that that activity with the kids on a Saturday (laughs) afternoon, I don't know if it does all the time, but your point is well taken. Yeah. Okay. So for states that don't yet have a chief privacy officer, what should their first step be? That's a good question. I think the way that states have gone about hiring a chief privacy officer is definitely not the same everywhere. In some cases, it was due to a new law that was a reaction to a data breach. In other cases, it was the CIO or the CISO that really advocated for a CPO and pushed for it to happen, pushed for that hire. In some cases, someone may have just been assigned privacy as part of their job. And then a few years later, an official CPO was hired, kind of as I mentioned before. But For anyone listening who's interested in getting the role up and running, you can certainly reach out to me. I have job descriptions from several states, and I can put you in touch with state CPOs that can help you navigate the process or give you advice. And as far as how the role should be structured, from NASIO's perspective, we don't think there's any right agency for the CPO to be in. And I get this question a lot. As long as they have some authority or at least influence over the executive branch agencies, that is the most important thing in our view. And of course, check out our 2022 survey on the role, which we'll put in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Okay. So any final thoughts that you want to leave folks with? I guess my final thought is that If you are a state with a privacy person and they aren't plugged into this group at NACIO, please get in touch. We want to make sure that they get to interact with their peers. If you're a state without a privacy person, you know, at the very least, just find someone who's willing to take the reins, like a general counsel or even a deputy general counsel. If they need it, get them a certification through the International Association of Privacy Professionals, you know, and then you can go from there to make the role more formal or work on finding someone with more specific privacy experience. There there are things you can do starting today, you know, or in, uh, this summer at least, and uh, NASIO is here to get you started. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing all this information with us. I am sure that you've convinced a lot of people who might not have a CPO yet that this is something <laughs> they need to do. So, so. Um, of course, though, before we end things, we can't let you go without the lightning round. Are you ready? Yes, definitely. Okay. So question one comes from our fearless leader, Doug Robinson. A lot of people may not know that you're also an expert in the interior design and do-it-yourself home improvements. So what's your favorite power tool to use or alternatively your favorite home project to take on? Well, let's see. I like to think of myself as a bit of a minimalist. So I also don't have room for tons of power tools. So I am going to say (laughs) the circular saw because 
it may not be great at a lot of things, but it can do a lot of things. And so I've built a lot of projects with just my circular saw before I had a miter saw and I don't have a table saw. So circular saw can can do a lot for you. All right. And I believe you are a Swifty. So mm-hmm. uh, favorite Taylor Swift album. Yes, that's true. I feel like I've mostly just talked about jam bands on this podcast for the last three <laughs> years, but I, I have become a bit of a Swifty <sighs> in the last few. And uh, while I do like some of the bangers on 1989 or Reputation or Lover, Folklore has a special place in my heart. And it was released you know, in 2020 when we were all just stuck at home and wandering Uh around our neighborhoods for exercise. And I would just listen to the album over and over again. And it was just such good songwriting. Really good. Agreed. I think, uh, I think that's my favorite too. I couldn't name them all, but I like the stripped down stuff she does. Yes. Okay. Favorite family friendly summer fun activity. Well, this past weekend, we just went to the lake with some friends that have a boat, which is the best way to experience a boat if other people have it. <laughs> and they, in the last couple of years, have gotten us into some water sports, which has been really fun. So my husband and I have practiced wake surfing and have been learning to do that. My daughter likes the tubing and the kneeboarding. So wow. hanging out with good friends on a summer weekend doing some water sports is it's really awesome. fun summer activity. For sure. We just got a slip and slide for for our kids, which is destroying my grasp, but giving us a lot of entertainment. So I know. The slip and slides, it's always a, a trade-off there yeah. with the grass. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Amy. It was really great to hear more about this issue. Thanks, Alex. Uh, happy to talk about it. And it's definitely something that I'm a bit passionate about in my work. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to NACIO Voices. NACIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, or NACIO. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe.